So, Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You may be seated. So I was saying how um, my family members were kind of complaining about how long my Thanksgiving sermon was. Um, well, they didn't complain outright. They just mentioned it was pretty long. To which I said, you're welcome. I mean, isn't that the way? It, I didn't just do all that work for the fun of it. But I, I did say to them this morning that I'll make up for it today. This is um, going to be a shorter sermon. I want to go right to the text, though. It says, on one occasion, verse 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, Gennesaret, what's Gennesaret? It's the Sea of Galilee by a different name. In the scripture, the Lake Gennesaret was also called Lake Tiberias or Kinneret. And for whatever reason, okay, God made Lake Gennesaret the lowest freshwater lake on earth. The lowest. It's about seven football fields below sea level. In fact, the only other lake that is lower than Gennesaret is the Dead Sea, also in Israel. But it's not fresh water, it's salt water. And that's where Jesus is lingering, right? The whole time. In Galilee, around the lake, coming and going. It's, it's a 13-mile long lake. I don't know how long... Or, or, or why the lake is up in um, Fond du Lac area, though. What, what is that lake? Winnebago? 30 miles. Okay. That's a huge lake. 
I mean, by visual, visual uh, standards. So 13 miles long. It was the main body of water. The people of Galilee um, existed around. Capernaum, which was the uh, like second home of Jesus, the home that became his residence when he began his ministry, Capernaum was on the lake. I say it's the second home for Jesus, but he himself said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so Jesus is down by the lake. And Simon Peter and presumably James and John had come in from a poor night of netting fish. They were cleaning their large nets, and the Lord was standing near the shore. But he was not alone, and he's rarely alone anymore. For he'd begun to attract these crowds, and crowds and crowds of people. He had to escape. If he ever wanted to get alone, it would be like wake up early morning and, and go out and pray. One reason they, they were attracted to Jesus was because of the miracles he performed. He was healing the sick, um, casting out evil spirits. The other reason they sought Jesus, a nobler reason, was that many longed, they really longed to hear the word of God. They hungered for it. And, and, it, and it, to me, it's like, give me that group of people, right? Give me lots of those kind of people who hunger for the word of God. And look out. They decided that for some reason, Jesus' teaching was not bland and unable to provide answers for life, but it was teaching that fulfilled and gave life meaning. Somehow, Jesus' words were not empty and merely academic with little strength, but his was empowered teaching and could open a man's spiritual eyes, let alone his physical eyes. It could open a man's spiritual ears and make his heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Like the prophet said would happen when God made a new covenant with his people. So this is who they're pressing in upon. They're pressing in to hear him. From the lowest lake on earth, God's word is, is being taught to people streaming down to it. And for sure one thing we'll say about anyone who yearns for the word of God is it's the work of the Holy Spirit that brings it about. If the work of the Holy Spirit is taking place, you are going to yearn for God's word. If you have no appetite for God's word, then the spirit is lacking in you or you are 
uh, grieving the Holy Spirit with something else going on in your life. All good things are a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Later in his life, Jesus will tell his followers this to prove the point. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. This, the flesh is no help at all. He's referring particularly to his conversation of how people would have to eat, eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they were having a hard time with that whole thing. But he says to them, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And then in parentheses it says, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So, in every part of our salvation, in every part of our uh, cleaning up of our sanctification and future glorification, we rely upon the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you rely upon yourself or think you can throttle them down, you're causing your own self harm and hurt. You will become anemic as a Christian if you want to tap the brakes on God. It is vital that you ask God to use his word in you and to change people. Vital. There could be a spiritual revolution that starts right here in Alto, in you. We could become improved and improved and vibrant people. We could become a source for people who want to hear and listen to God's word. And then, of course, want to wrap their lives around God's word. What would it require? It would require two things. The, one, the first, not the most important, the first is that God's word would need to be preached clearly by us. Clearly. Without my opinions or Bob's opinions or whomever's opinions, clouding the word of God or ignoring parts of it or overemphasizing this portion while neglecting that one. So it's God's word that needs to be preached clearly. The second ingredient for spiritual revolution would be the Father granting to us a good measure of spiritual interest, of spiritual vigor. If he doesn't do that, those words, however clearly taught, will fall on dead ears, blinded eyes, a heartless Christianity. As Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life. So ask God for a change if you want it. That's, that's the loaded sentence. Ask God for a change if you want it. 
if you don't want it, I can't help you. Ask him to start by changing you. Then ask him for your family members, church members, others, also in your life as you work your life's circumference out. How wonderful here that people would want to hear the word of God like the crowd. Okay, of verse 1, they're pressing in on him. How wonderful is that? They pressed in. They, they wanted to get as close as possible because they wanted to hear every syllable of it for themselves. They didn't just want to be told by somebody else secondhand. They wanted, it, they wanted to have it themselves. And for some, the desire to hear the word of God is, is greater than a desire for gold. Well, even much fine gold, as David said. Sweeter, he says also, than, than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 19. So this pressing into here, it must be God's work in the people. For when people want to truly hear the word of God, it comes to them because God is with it. It's as if he comes as, as if it comes directly from his lips. If you sit in church and the sermon's being preached and you're ho-hum about it, then you're not hearing as, as if it's coming directly from God's lips. And yet it should be that. If you hear it, on the other hand, and your soul swells and gets filled with the delight of knowing you have God with you, that's how God walks and talks with you. Not merely from the pulpit, but also in your own time spent with God's word or hearing something taught or preached accurately. So he's out there in the boat a ways. Well, not yet. First, you've got to know he wants the people to hear. They're pressing in on him. He wants them to hear what he's going to say. He wants them to live life fully. This is what he came to do, to bring life. So he looked around for a better pulpit, and he saw two boats by the lake, according to verse 2, but the fishermen had gone out of those boats, and they were washing their nets. Okay. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter, and he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. He asked Peter to, to put him out, and he, then he sat down and he started teaching, just like he sat down and would teach in the synagogue. That's the posture of a teacher, at least then. The, the fishing boats themselves, we understand, were rather large boats, not one you'd go with your uncle out fishing on the lake necessarily. They would hold about four or five men, working men. You'd have to be able to pull, pull fish into these boats, the nets. Somewhere, this kind of boat, somewhere 
Josephus records that there were about 230 of them on Lake Gennesaret. But they were fishing boats, not pulpits. And Simon Peter was a man who was an expert that fished in fishing. Not one who fished for people. Things are about to change. The reason Jesus wanted to be out away from the shore was so people could hear him better. If they pressed against him, his voice would have got boxed in, kind of muffled. Whereas his heart was for the whole multitude. He wanted them to hear directly. He wanted them to hear every syllable and begin to go, what does this mean for me? How do I apply this to my life? This day, the people were ripe for harvest. Not only this day. This day, the people wanted to be brought in from the fields. Not only this day. And he won't let them down. Lest you doubt his motives... On another occasion in conversation, Matthew records in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So uh, he's doing what he does. By being put out in the boat and teaching the crowds. And theologian Albert Behrens describes it saying it's probable that this was a small bay, okay, or cove, and that when he was in the boat, the people on the shore stood around him in the form of an amphitheater. It is not improbable that the lake was still, that scarcely a breeze passed over it, that all was silence on the shore, and that there was nothing to disturb his voice. In such a situation, he could be heard by multitudes, and no spectacle could be more sublime, more wonderful than that of the Son of God, the Redeemer of the world, thus speaking from the bosom of a placid lake, the emblem of the peaceful influence of his own doctrines to the poor, the ignorant, and the attentive multitudes assembled on the shore. We don't get to hear really anything about what he taught them in this text, but Luke wants you to see what comes next. Verse 4, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them, come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, it's not unreasonable, right, for Simon to say what he said. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So, like, I don't know, 
coax Jesus out of the idea. This is, this is really seeing things according to the eyes of a practical man. He fished for a living. It was quite reasonable for Peter to conclude that the fish just are not moving. Master, the prospects aren't good, but, but if you really want me to, then I will. So even though Peter knew better, he also has learned to submit himself to the Lord Jesus on some level. Indeed, it is practical and reasonable to say, are you sure you want us to go through the same motions again? But it's not reasonable to question this non-fisherman because though he is a carpenter only and not really a fisherman, he's also the, the son of God. So Peter puts out the boat into the deep waters and lets down the fishing nets and sure enough, the carpenters got it right. The catch was so great that the nets began to break. They signal for help pull in the catch. Both boats are filled with fish to the point that they, they fear sinking them out in the deep. It was doubtless frantic. But Peter, he, he becomes distracted. They're all working. Peter's distracted. In the moment, he, he doesn't even care about the fish. He doesn't care about his livelihood, the record catch. Those things are far removed from his new primary affection. Peter's priority and all of his priorities just experienced a revolution. Verse 8 says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. There's a point at one's conversion. When fear combines with hope. Fear combines with hope. It's an, it's an awful and awesome moment, conversion. When the sinner reaches out timidly, unable to lift his own face toward God, yet desperately wanting to touch the robe of God and be healed. Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. Did Peter really want Jesus to leave him? No. That's the last thing Peter wanted. For at this moment, Peter has come to see that Jesus is God's Holy One sent to save him from himself. Nowhere else would Peter find the solution to every problem. No other life would be worth living than a life given to him. 
No, he doesn't want Peter. He does, I mean, he doesn't want Jesus to depart from him. Later in John 6, okay, we're, we're going to read. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, speaking of Jesus. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? You know who pipes up? Peter. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So now, when Peter says, depart from me, he doesn't want Jesus to leave. But he, wants, but he does want his own sin to be taken out of him. He wants his guilt and shame gone. This awesome and lovely son of man was so holy and true and all-knowing that all Peter could think about was Jesus' boat, Jesus' beauty in the same boat as his ugliness. Jesus' beauty in the same boat as his ugliness. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's the full sentence. That's the, the viable sinner's prayer. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Do not be afraid is, is like Jesus saying, I pardon you, Peter. I pardon you. I know who you are, and I know what you've been. This difference in the boat between us is because you are a sinful man. You cannot make that right. You cannot fix the problem that separates us. But I can, and I do. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. With the great catch of fish, the Lord was not concerned so much about fish. With the great catch of fish, the Lord was transforming life in one man for sure. The real catch, the real catch was not the net-breaking load they pulled into the boats. It was Peter, the rock upon whom Jesus would build his church. And surely these disciples would fish again. You'll see it. But that occupation has now become so secondary and merely meant to serve the kingdom of God for which they have now committed their life and affections. I would recommend this, Christian, that you think of your occupation too as forever subject to Jesus Christ's kingdom. If you're a fisherman, you fish men. If you're a builder, you build men. If you're a locksmith, you open the doors of men's hearts. You kind of get what I'm saying. For Christ's teaching is pretty clear. All we eat, all we drink, all we wear, all that we're given to do in our various callings, that these things are secondary. 
Jesus told us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would indeed affect a change in those hearts and souls of us that need an obvious change, and in us where the change isn't so obviously seen. Continue by your spirit and your word to change us.